Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Nick Augustine, and I'm your host on this episode of Money Talk Radio, brought to you by ProServe Public Relations. Our shows cover financial news and information in topics that matter to our listeners. Money Talk Radio airs live on Thursdays with variable show times in the afternoons. You can certainly click on our Money Talk Radio Facebook page, and you will find feeds uh, advertising our weekly shows. Simply search for Money Talk Radio in the Facebook search tab for more information. Today's show is titled Jane Salerson and Christopher DeBars on Senior Care. Alzheimer's, dementia, and similar conditions require a collaborative team approach to care. This episode focuses on people and places providing professional and financial services to seniors and families. Our guests today are Jane Salerson and Christopher DeBars. Jane Salerson is the Executive Vice President overseeing all sales and marketing for Emeritus Corporation's independent assisted living, Alzheimer's, and skilled nursing communities throughout the United States. She's a skilled mentor and coach, and she is particularly adept at improving team performance, resulting in increased resident satisfaction and sustained facility growth. A native New Yorker, Salerson earned her bachelor's degree in marketing from Clark University, Worcester, Mass., and she is active in Assisted Living Federation of America and speaks frequently at regional and national industry conferences at colleges and universities. Our other guest, Chris DeBars, and his wife, Amanda, are the owners of Help Unlimited, a daily money management firm serving senior citizens and disabled in the Mid-Atlantic. Chris served for six years as a counterintelligence officer with the Department of Defense, where he directed an interagency program combating terrorism. He was deployed to Iraq and Afghanistan and, from 2007 to 2009, served on the staff of the National Security Council of Presidents Bush and Obama. Chris obtained his bachelor's degree from the University of Notre Dame and his MBA from Wake Forest University. He is the chairman of the Southeast chapter of AADMM, and he is an American Red Cross volunteer. Before we get going, I want to welcome callers to our show. Our show is uh, neutral and objective, and your comments are always welcome. If you have a question or comment for either of our guests, please dial 917-889-9732, option 1 to be placed in the caller queue. The telephone number again is 889-9732, and that's a 917 area code. By way of short disclaimer, this is a general information program. The advice shared on this show does not constitute professional advice. Communications with attorneys and finance professionals on our shows does not give rise to client relationships. ProServe Public Relations does not necessarily endorse all the opinions expressed by guests. And finally, all callers are confidential and rights to this broadcast are reserved. Before we get moving, I want to let you know about upcoming events. If you have an upcoming event you want to promote on our show, please let us know. Beginning in January of 2012, we are selling episode sponsors, and you can take advantage of this opportunity to support our programming and help create awareness for your organization and events. ProServe Public Relations is a full-service business development PR firm focused on law, finance, and small business success. We offer consulting and service in content development, event management, and media relations. Please visit our website for more information at www.proservepr.com, which is spelled P-R-O. S-E-R-V-E-P-R dot com. Now, for today's program, there are many pressing issues facing senior citizens and their families. From selecting caregivers to financial planning for care expenses and daily living, our guests, Jane Salerson and Chris DeBars, are industry-leading professionals with sound information and advice on creating and executing the best plans for senior care and the happiest in retirement years. So, uh, going forward, I'd like to welcome our guests, Jane and Chris. Well, thank you, Nick. It's a pleasure to be here. Hello, Chris, and hello, Jane. Hello. All right. Hello. Okay. Well, I thank you both for your valuable time in uh, being on our show this afternoon. And I'd like to just start by uh, asking you first, Jane, I'll start with you. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your work, Jane. Um, well, you know, first of all, thanks for having me on. I think it's really important that we, you know, continue to educate um you know, uh, the consumers about what options are available for seniors. I think there's a, a, a big uh, confusion about um, all the possibilities and, and um, the programs available for seniors. So, you know, um, you know, as you mentioned earlier, um, I'm a native New Yorker. I came from the East Coast. I now live in Seattle. Um, I'm the executive uh Vice President of Sales and Marketing for Emeritus Assisted Living, um, which is the largest provider of assisted living in in the U.S. We actually operate 485 
assisted living and independent living communities in 44 different states and have a capacity of over 50,000 seniors. So, you know, my, my background has always been in, in the last 20 years in senior care, and, um, you know, it's come a long way. So uh, I'm excited about um, sharing all the, the great information that might really, even if it helps one person today. Well, I appreciate your time in sharing that information. And Chris, how are you? And tell us a little bit about your work. Well, hi, Nick. I, I'm doing fantastic. And, and to echo Jane's comments, very happy to be here. And, and thanks for the opportunity to talk about these issues. Uh, my wife and I are, are real passionate about working with senior citizens. It's a, a fantastic demographic, and it's just really brought so much to, to our lives, being able to work with uh, truly amazing people. Uh, what we do is uh, something called daily money management, and we help seniors and their families tackle all those day-to-day -day financial chores that come up. So things like making sure that the mail gets sorted and the bills get paid, uh, tracking insurance claims, uh, making sure that all the important legal documents are organized and filed and readily accessible. Uh, we're a family company. We're the second-generation owners. We took over for uh, my mother-in-law, Roberta, who has been a uh, industry leader and, and a pioneer for the last 30 years or so. We operate in the metro D.C. area and in North Carolina, and uh, just very excited about not just our business, but all of the wonderful innovations and, and support services that are springing up in senior care. All right, wonderful. Well, I, during today's show, what we're going to do is we're going to have a, um, we're going to have a, several topics to talk about, focusing primarily on uh, financial aspects, but also the aspects of different facilities. And there's so much that Jane can bring to that conversation. So I'd like to uh, talk about things from the perspective of facilities and uh, some of our our aspects of financial and other concerns, decision making and planning that happen when we have a loved one uh, who is uh, residing. In a, in a care facility, and also for uh, the clients and um, and folks that that Chris and his wife serve, who may or may not be uh, in a residential care facility, who may be um, you know still on their own and working on uh, their retirement, and, may, and have a similar concerns. Uh, I know that um, several people um, I've known in the past have worked with uh, with their loved ones who did have Alzheimer's and still lived in, in their homes and wanted to continue that way. Um, I know that when my grandmother was, was ailing, we had a care caregivers around the clock uh, staying with her in her home. So I know that there are both, both sides of the coin, and uh, both of you have so much to bring to the conversation here. So if we could just uh, go forward, and I suppose we can take turns uh, with, uh, with responses to questions and such, uh, I'd like to first address some of the main concerns of senior care, and I will assume that someone may be listening who is has a, a parent who is getting up there in age and uh, people are considering uh, different things for future options. So, um, Jane, if we could start, what are some of the concerns for people listening uh, approaching senior care decision-making? Um, I think there's a couple of concerns. You know, people always think it's financial to start, but, you know, they, what really comes up more often is having the discussion with their family member, their loved one, their parent or their grandparent, um, when they know that mom or dad isn't safe anymore and they're seeing them decline, um, the, their biggest concern is how do I talk to mom about it? And they think, you know, mom's, you know, usually uh, the mom is so, their mind is set of the old nursing home. This is what a nursing home, and people go to die at a nursing home. And what they don't realize is that, you know, there's so many options now and, and different types of independent living and assisted living and continuing care retirement communities. There's many options for them. Um, so one is how do I address that with my with with my loved one, and how do I start talking to them about that? And uh, two is, you know, obviously a financial, and then three really is what's what is the best place? You know, should I have mom at home with care? Should I have her at a place where there's people around? So those are the top type of things that I hear more on a daily basis. Thank you, Jane. Chris, what are some of the concerns you hear from people? 
Well, I, I think Jane did a, a great job hitting the main ones we hear. You know, aging is an emotional process. I think we tend to think of it just as a physical process. But for everyone involved, this can become a, a highly emotionally charged issue. And it, especially if you come from a family where maybe the relationships aren't as strong as, as you would hope, it can be very, very difficult to have these conversations. And even within families that are very close, it's still somewhat of an awkward thing to bring up. Uh, we work with a lot of families where the first hurdle that we have to clear is, okay, I know that mom needs this help. How do we even go about bringing this one up? And, and it's uncomfortable for everyone involved. Um, and the money is is also a very emotional issue. There's a, a very famous statistic among those of us who are in senior care that 66% of seniors fear running out of money more than they fear death. Uh, yeah, that kind of highlights, I think, and encapsulates just how central an issue uh, finances play to people's day-to-day -day emotional health. And that's a crucial component to long-term happiness and, and even I would suggest physical health is having uh, less anxiety, less worry, and uh, being able to focus on the more immediate direct things. And right. it's very, it is true that it, it does cost, it can cost uh, families significant amounts, either option you choose, whether it's keeping keeping a loved one at home or, or going into a facility and looking at some of those. And I like that you both brought up the, uh, the the very touchy subject of how do you start with these discussions. I know it's never easy, and oftentimes many people add their two cents. I recall when my grandmother uh, wanted to – she expressed her wish, um, and I'll just use this as an example. She wanted to stay in the house that she was born in, and my father wanted to really abide by her wishes. And a lot of neighbors and different people were on both sides of the fence saying that's a very great thing that you're doing. Other people said that's terrible. You should really have uh, her in a facility. So how do you start, uh, how do you start these conversations? You both uh, suggested that this is a, uh, a very uh, touchy thing. So Jane, if I can ask you first, what, what are some good ways to start approaching a dialogue? Uh, you know, I think the first thing that people don't, they don't do correctly is you need to get consensus among family members. I think, and, and I'm sure Chris hears this as well, you know, usually there's one sibling that's taking the burden of caretaking, and the other siblings are kind of either at a distance, you know, they don't live close, or they're not as involved on a day-to-day -day basis. So I think the first thing that has to happen is everyone has to be in consensus on what's the best option for mom because if you have some disagreements among siblings it's very easy for the senior to kind of play each other every parent wants to stay at home no one ever comes kicking their heels saying i want to move to assisted living um or you know independent living so i think the the first thing is if you get consensus then you sit down and you have discussions with your with your your loved one, but I think it's real important is you can't tell them you need to do this. It should be more as we're concerned about you and we love you and we care about you, and we want you to be a part of this process about what's best for you, so you have good quality of life and we're comfortable that you're well taken care of. And so I think. It, they have to feel like they're in control. If you try to force someone to do it, it's kind of like dragging that kindergarten kid to school for the first time. If you're going to force them in, they're going to be kicking their feet. Let them be part of the process. I think it also, too, it becomes very overwhelming. And here's a typical scenario. Mom's fallen a few times. They're really concerned about what's going to happen. At someone decides we've got to go look for assisted living or independent living, and they drag mom around to six places, you know, and it's, it's overwhelming. Um, it's tiring for them. So really the first step is start talking to them about it. And good times to start talking about it is when something has just happened, like they've fallen or they, you know, it's snowed for three days and they haven't been able to get out of the house and no one has been able to go over and visit them. Um, so that's one thing. I think um, 
Secondly, um, it's real important that they're comfortable. Um, there's one thing. There, there's an, uh, David Soley is a, an, an author that wrote about how to talk to seniors, and there's two things with seniors that everyone needs to think about. One is they feel like they're losing control. Typically, they're physically losing control. And second of all, they have a search for legacy. You know, what was my life worth? This house I lived in for 50 years or, you know, my job or whatever. So it's really important that they're part of the process and part of the decision making. And one, some of the things we do is elicit other seniors, maybe their friends that have moved in to a place. Um, sometimes we encourage if um, to get a physician involved because sometimes, you know, the senior's been going to the same physician for 30 years, and they feel comfortable when that when that doctor says, you know what. I'm concerned that you're not safe at home anymore. So really it's about consensus. It's about getting them involved in the process and don't make it overwhelming for them. Um, if not, we've had situations where, you know, daughter brings mom to come to her community and she won't get out of the car. And obviously you know is because no one has really prepped her for it. So that's kind of my suggestion. Those are really great suggestions, Jane, and I, I really especially uh, like the idea of having other seniors uh, talk to people on sort of a peer level. That seems very helpful. Chris, what are some of your thoughts? Yeah, the, a surefire recipe for disaster is for the adult children to sit down with their mom or dad and say, Mom, Dad, we've made a decision, and here's how it's going to be. Uh, we've seen that happen, and, and usually it's coming from a place of just sort of general insecurity about how to approach the situation. But as you might imagine, fireworks fly in that case. What we try to encourage our friends, our family, and our clients to do is, uh, even before there's an incident such as falling or uh, I think Jane said being snowed in, something like that, really try to encourage smaller conversations along the way. I think a lot of families run into trouble where they sit down, they've, they've pulled up a list of all the things that they need to talk about, be it uh, how to safeguard the home or how to get POAs and medical directives in place or the six facilities or communities that the, the senior might be going to, lists and lists and lists of what they need to talk about, hoping that they can knock it all out in one afternoon. And that's that's just simply not going to happen. Uh, so we really encourage families to start very early, uh, hopefully before there's a problem. So if nothing mm -hmm. else, you can at least get a feel for what mom and dad, in an ideal world, what they would like to do. And then just tackle small things every once in a while. You know, Mom, dad, have you guys updated your will lately? Mom, dad, do you have you given any thought to a do not resuscitate order? Uh, have you thought about who you might want to have help pay your bills or, or that sort of thing? Tackling these issues in little tiny chunks, uh, it's the old adage, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? And mm -hmm. that's that's what we really uh, encourage folks to do. And, and when we see them do that, the, the chances for success are much greater. Uh, and, and I'd also pick up on the notion of having seniors, other seniors have the conversation. Uh, most of the employees that work for our company, we've got about 14 folks on staff, 12 of them are senior citizens themselves, retirees who are looking to stay active and uh, continue working. And we do that for a, a very specific reason, and that is people want to work and communicate with their peer groups. And the more you can pull in friends and other peers, by far, by far, the higher chance of success you're going to have. I could not agree more. We're going to pause quickly for our first event uh, break, and I'm going to tell you about an event that's a little bit off topic, but uh, we also will have uh, one of the speakers of the event calling in, uh, hopefully halfway through the show. It's Sarah Manning, and she is one of the presenters at an upcoming continuing legal education seminar sponsored by the Chicago Bar Association that will be taking uh, place here in Chicago, and the subject matter is uh, DUI law and uh, traffic stops. The training is a legal knowledge and skills training course. It's going to be three hours of intensive DUI summary suspension information and skills training by expert faculty, including live demonstrations, a 
of cross-examination. The undisputed masters of Cook County's courtrooms will provide an overview of cross-examination, followed by a mock trial skills workshop. Now, during the mock skills training, the faculty will demonstrate cross-examination skills and allow the attorneys to practice these skills while critiquing performances. After a short dinner break, they will then sharpen their cross-skills through a small hands-on group cross-examination workshop before sitting county court judges. The small group cross-examination workshop will be an on-your-feet crossing of Chicago police officers in a mock trial setting. Judges will rule on performances and offer suggestions for improvement. So Sarah uh, should be calling in if she has time a little bit later to talk a little bit more about that. And for those of our uh, audience attorneys listening and for those of you who have attorney friends, you can let them know that this is a four-and-a-half-hour CLE opportunity, again, by the Chicago Bar Association. Really excellent programming. So we appreciate the opportunity to share that information with you. Now back to our topic of senior care facilities and senior living, we talked a little bit in our first segment about some of the concerns of seniors and the families making tough decisions, and we talked a little bit about approaching the situation and starting some dialogues and discussions with our loved ones on, on what are some of the best concerns. Let's turn our focus a little, if we could, to the financial side and uh, focus on how we can look at financial planning. Hopefully, our uh, families have thought well in advance and have uh, saved money towards uh, retirement, um, but we know that that's always not always the case, or also sometimes we find ourselves facing some tough decisions when uh, the stock market didn't uh, turn out like we wanted or uh, other things happened. Things happen in life. And sometimes, and, and the, I appreciate that statistic, uh, Chris, that you offered of 66% of seniors fear running out of money uh, more than running out of, of, of time living. So um, let's start a discussion on uh, what do we do, first of all, if we have uh, money in place, what should we look at? What are some concerns? Chris, you want to go first? Sure. You know, a big question, the place you have to start with is a simple how much money is coming in and how much money is coming out because that's going to determine uh, whatever assets you have, how quickly you go through them. And as much as we not, might not like to think about it, we do have to make choices about the types and levels and, and quality of care and services that we receive. And it really is based a lot on that that simple budget number. Another, another problem that seniors today are running into, and, and many Americans for that matter, is what a, a financial professional would call a lack of liquidity. And really all we mean when we say that is all of the assets are tied up in something like a house or other real estate that it's it's very, very difficult to turn into actual cash. So for this last generation and in the boomer generation, the conventional wisdom was always your house is your best asset. Put your money into your house and that way you own it. What we're finding now, though, is there's all this money in the house and with the uh, meltdown of the housing market, it's almost impossible for many folks to now pull that cash out. So what they're sitting on is a situation where they need to get to what amounts to their life savings, but it's it's really tied up. Uh, and that's a, a challenge that's going to exist for many, many more years to come. And hopefully folks that are getting closer to retirement are able to take some steps to avoid that problem. Uh, but, but it's a real challenge for many of today's seniors. And sometimes you have to get a little creative or evaluate different options to to find a way around that one. Chris, can you give us some examples of those creative decision-making approaches? Sure. You know, I, I guess I should say, I'm not a big fan of this for most people, but there are options like reverse mortgages and that sort of thing that allow you to suck equity out of the house. Um, I, I think there are only a relatively few number of people, though, for whom that is uh, an appropriate avenue. Uh, more so than that, you have to start looking at alternative sources of funding or, or really how to stretch every dollar. So, you know, that Social Security check might not be real big, uh, but you got to really sort of pinch pennies and, and stretch every cent you can out of it. it it's tough. Uh, it's, it, 
we like to think that our our golden years are going to be just that golden, um, but unfortunately for a lot of folks, you you really have to be uh, almost a little tight-fisted and and really manage your funds carefully. I agree. Jane, what are some of your thoughts on addressing some of the tough financial decisions, and what are some things that you talk about uh, topic and discussion-wise when um, there are people who are interested in, in working and learning more about your facilities? Um, you know, there's. I think there's a couple of things. I think what, what we're seeing now, and we're starting to see it nationally in the numbers, is, you know, a lot of seniors um, – you know, in terms of their house, and, and there are a lot of seniors in, that do own their houses. And what we saw was for a period of time, for the, for probably um, right after the the meltdown, the financial meltdown, probably for about two years, um, people said, oh, I'm not going to move because I, I don't want to lose what I could have made on this house. And what we're seeing now is I, seniors are starting to sell their homes. You know, they might not be getting the, what they thought they were going to get during the heyday of, of, of the real estate market. So I'm, we're starting to see that more because we're starting to see our, our occupancy rates go up in our independent living uh, products. I think people don't realize there, there there's some options for them to help cover the cost of assisted living, even home care um, uh, services. Um, there's a couple of programs that, that we talk about we try to educate people on. One is obviously there's a VA program, the AIDS Attendance Program. So if you're a veteran or a spouse of a ve uh, veteran, a widow of a veteran, um, depending on if you meet the criteria, um, they will help subsidize the cost of, of, of uh, the AIDS and Attendance, which is some care. Um, um, so people do utilize that a lot. Um, second of all, um, in terms of if there's a company, there's companies out there, there's one in particular we've partnered with called Elder Life who actually does a line of credit for families who the senior needs to go somewhere. They know it's going to take six, to a year, six months to a year to move into a property or to sell their home, they could take a line of credit, which usually um, uh, their payments are between 40 and $60 a month. And then when they sell the home, it goes right and pays off the line of credit. So believe it or not, we have a lot of uh, families that utilize this option. Or they, they're holding out. They don't want to they don't want to sell off investments that might have lost money. So they said, let's just for 12 months take this line of credit out. Let's hope that our investments make up some losses and um, uh, do the line of credit. Or they take out this when they're waiting for their VA uh, benefits to come through. The third thing that most people, and it's more relatively new, most people don't know about it. We are touting it. We're trying to educate people is – uh, a recent law passed, the National Conference of Insurance Regulators passed the Life Insurance Consumer Disclosure Model Act. And basically, in November of 2011, it says it requires insurance companies for life insurance to notify policy owners of their alternatives to abandoning their life insurance policy. So what – what um We've partnered with one company. What they do is they take a enforced life insurance policy, and there's no age minimum. There's it, it includes term, and what they do is they take that death benefit and they convert it to an assurance benefit. And that's A S S U R A N C -E, to help pay for long-term care. And there's a lot of seniors out there that might have worked um, uh, at a company for. 30 years, and they might have two life insurance policies. Um, and so some of these people now are taking their life insurance policy, the families, and, and um, you, you know, um, Chris, you could probably speak to this as well. Most families, I want to say most, they're not worried about the inheritance from their parent. They want their mom or dad to be in a, a great place. And meanwhile, the senior is saying, well, that's my life insurance policy. I want to make sure that you're taken care of. What they do is they take that life insurance policy and they convert it, a, a percentage of it, um, a certain percent stays a death benefit, and, there, and another percent 
gets converted to a long-term care benefit. Um, right now, there are 153 million Americans who own $27 trillion worth of life life insurance policies. I think the other thing is um, a lot of times uh, families have a life insurance policy, then they convince, you know, people are convincing them to convert to Medicaid. Well, Medicaid requires them to surrender their policy because it's an asset for them. So, um, you know, from a, from a state perspective, you know, people are going on to Medicaid when they might not have to go on to Medicaid if they have a $200,000 life insurance policy. So it's relatively new. Um, when it works for people, they are just so excited because they, they said, oh, my God, I, mom does have a life insurance policy or mom has moms and dads. So there's options out there that people don't take advantage of. They just walk in, they go, oh, assisted living, it's $3,000. We can't afford that. The other option, which has became much more, um, uh, I think, accepting over the last couple of years is what we call friendship suites, which is a shared apartment. So and normally if the apartment might cost $2,800, they could share an apartment with another senior in our building starting at $1,800 and get their level of care. So people that could never really afford private assisted living can now afford it. So I think if I could give a recommendation for people is just don't assume until, you, you know, talk to people, get yourself educated. Um, um, you know, on our website we have YouTube videos, how-to videos that explain all this stuff. So get yourself educated. But there is options for seniors out there that they just might not be aware of. They Thank you, Jane, so much for uh, highlighting some of those because those are some options that I was not aware of either. And, uh, again, I will um, mirror what Jane is saying here, that even if you took look, looked into senior care or you had a – I think a very common occurrence is that people live vicariously through peers and other people who have dealt with this. So if you have a friend who had an ailing parent a few years, uh, a few years ago, you can't necessarily approach things with that same schema because things have changed. Chris, can I get some of your uh, responses to um, some of the uh, benefits uh, that Jane offered? And have you had similar experiences, or do you have any other additional products or thoughts? Well, the the thing that I, I loved, or her suggestion that I loved, is sharing a, an apartment. Not only is that good for the right person, not only is that good for uh, your finances that can also be very very good for your social interaction and your emotional health and your overall quality of life uh something that that seniors suffer from is social isolation and so i i love jane's suggestion here not just from a monetary aspect but also from uh keeping seniors involved with their communities and socializing and just enjoying life a lot more uh, some of the products you mentioned, uh, I have to admit, were, were new to me as well, uh, and, and I'm looking forward to uh, learning more about them. Um, I, I think one of the nice things, and we touched on this a little bit earlier, is 20, 30 years ago there was one option, and that was mom went to what we would now call, to, call a nursing home or a skilled nursing facility, and, and that was it. But the range of services is so wide, so vast now, you can have everything from, even if someone is, is able to live independently, like my 93-year-old grandmother, she has a companion care service come in once or twice a week and do some you know, light housekeeping and, and prepare a meal and that sort of thing. And that's perfect for her. And it's a relatively low-cost option. Uh, so again, I'd I, really encourage people to throw out those old paradigms you have about cost and service because there's so many options out there. And I guarantee that you can find that right combination of appropriate services as well as the way to fund it, the way to come up with the money. Uh, and some of those vehicles that Jane mentioned sound like uh, very intriguing possibilities. You know what, um, Chris makes a really good point. I, I think um, the socialization part is something that, you know, um, as an adult child is something that you really um, need to look at. Um, 
I think a lot of times, and, 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 and like you said, from a social standpoint, you know, think about if someone's been married for 50 years and they lost a spouse and they've never lived alone. And now all of a sudden they're alone. Yep. I think the second thing that senior that uh, as adult children should think about is even though their parent is saying I want to be at home and I want to be at home and I want I want to be at home if if they're living in al- alone, they don't have a lot of stimulation, um they can't drive anymore. Um what happens is physically they start to decline a lot of times. Um, they don't have the interaction. You know, their life becomes the wheel of fortune. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times what's really important is people all of a sudden who are declining at home, they get put into an environment when they're with other people, be it an independent living or a board and care home or an assisted living, whatever that source is, and all of a sudden, they feel better, and they're getting yep, they up every thrive. day. They're eating better. Um, you know, eating alone sometimes people don't eat as well. So, if they, if you're looking and you see your parent that you're their main source of socialization, and you know you're a busy adult child working full time. You know, really consider what type of socialization are they having because you'd be surprised what happens when they're surrounded by people of their own age and they can talk to and be with. Yep, absolutely. We've seen it time and again uh, where our clients, and really almost the identical scenario to what Jane described, is a spouse passes away and there is a marked decline and then they move into – uh, continuing care retirement community or a group home or, or something like that. And they, they perk right up and, and life gets better both physically and emotionally. It's very good points to bring up. And I, and I suppose that again, it's going to be different every situation with every individual. And I can see how, you could be wrong in your assumptions if you're the child, adult child, assuming that mom or dad is going to be happier staying at home because that was their wish. But maybe we could take a look at uh, easing into a facility or taking different mm-hmm. options. How? What's the best roadmap for maintaining flexibility and open minds? No, you're absolutely right. And a lot of times people, we encourage people, look, if you, you don't want to make a permanent commitment, that's okay. Try it out. Have mom stay for a month, you know, um, and let them experience it. Because I think a lot of times what happens is they come in and they go, oh, this is totally different than what I thought it was. And I didn't realize how lonely I was until I was here. So nine times out of ten, when when you can get someone to say, try it. You have nothing to lose. There's no long-term commitment. You don't have to invest anything. See how it goes. And that little step can make a big difference. Yeah, absolutely. And a great way of trying it, uh, if you find yourself in this situation where maybe your your parent has had to have some kind of surgery and needs to rehabilitate for a little while, uh, many of these communities will offer sort of a short-term rehabilitation option. And that is a great way for your loved one to not only get a, a taste of what it would be like living in one of these communities, but of course also to get the help to recuperate and recover that they need. Um, and that's not an entirely uncommon situation that is facing families. And the reason I bring it up is it's a very non-threatening way of suggesting somebody try it out. It's a sort of natural progression arising out of the situation and Again, it's it's allowing the senior to make decisions, feel in control, and evaluate things for his or herself. I agree. I would like to change, uh, switch direction here a little bit to different concerns and other professionals that we might bring in to a discussion as we're considering some of these options and continuing family dialogues. Uh, let's consider Alzheimer's specifically. Um, and I, my question is, how do different conditions that our seniors are experiencing affect cognitive abilities and decision-making processes, and what point do we ask for other individuals to step in and help, and who are the best individuals to talk to? 
Well, yeah, Alzheimer's is, is just a cruel, cruel disease. Uh, many of our clients suffer from it, and it's it's truly heartbreaking to watch the progression uh, as that disease takes its toll and, and runs its course. There can be a small army of folks that are trying to help care for seniors. And one of the key aspects to, to good care is making sure that everybody is on the same page and, and coordinated. So we often hear on the medical side, for example, about two doctors who are working at cross purposes because they're not talking. You have a, uh, a kidney specialist doing something that interacts poorly with what the neurologist is trying to do. That also happens for some of these other services. So, for example, the wealth manager, if there is one, might not be talking with the uh, estate planner. And so the assets have changed, and it turns out that a big chunk, chunk of assets are no longer are, – are not in the trust that the attorney had set up, that sort of thing. And as folks are battling dementia and Alzheimer's, it becomes tougher and tougher to follow all these moving parts. So we really suggest uh, bringing in somebody and sort of designating them as the uh, coordinator, uh, not necessarily giving them any additional legal powers, but sort of identifying someone who is going to uh, run herd, shall we say, and make sure that everyone stays up to date and abreast of all the different changes and all of the different scenarios that are playing out in someone's life. Jane, your thoughts? You know, I think uh, with, you know, Alzheimer's, uh, I, I think um, – the the biggest thing that we see is um, normally it's a spouse that's resistant to get help. So this poor spouse is you know married to their their husband and their wife for forty years. Um, their husband is declining. Um, they're caretaking them for them twenty four hours a day, seven days a week. They're not sleeping. They're not eating. You know, their 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 husband's roaming and and pacing and uh, doesn't recognize or becoming violent and they've never been violent before. And I think um, if you have parents like that, that's something you really really need to take a close look at because normally what happens, the person who ends up failing or hurting themselves or getting sick or getting ill is the caregiver. It's not the actual Alzheimer's senior. So mm -hmm. I think that's one big concern that you really have to kind of keep an eye out. And no one wants to put their husband or wife saying, that's my job. You know, I was married to him. I should be taking care of him. What they they need to find is that it's not doing their loved one any good by you taking care of them because god forbid if something happens to you mm -hmm. you know no one's not going to be available i think the other thing is um people if you get into the right program for for alzheimer's it is a horrible disease and and there is no cure and and, and the progression is you watch the progression, but I think if you get into the right place, if, if the time is that mom needs to be somewhere or dad needs to be somewhere, make sure you're looking for a place that has good programming for Alzheimer's, not not a warehouse for them. Um, I think a lot of times, you know, a lot of companies just kind of stick a wall up and say, you know, here's a door and this is our Alzheimer's program. You really got to have programming in. What are you doing to engage this senior so that they can be successful in what, whatever stage they are in, in Alzheimer's. And, and let me give you an example, just so people can kind of understand. You know, you have different stages of, of memory loss in Alzheimer's. So if you, you're doing a cooking theme, you know, someone who's in beginning stages could help bake a cake. They can help mix. They can be part of it. Maybe the, the you know, they actually do part of it. And if you're middle stages, you might be watching them, you know, do it, but maybe you're not really engaged in the actual cooking. And if you're in late stages, 
you get to eat the cake. So maybe you're sitting there, but you get to get to eat the cake. So really, you've got to make sure that when you're when when you're looking for places or looking for a, maybe a daycare center, whatever it may be, find a place that you know that there's programming going on that your mom's just not sitting in a recliner chair. Um, I, I it, it, it the little gleams of success that they get from setting the table because they were a housewife their whole life makes it all worthwhile. And and when we show families, if you can't engage them in something that they remember, sometimes they remember the thing of that they were a secretary. So if you put a typewriter in front of them and with a, with a envelopes, you'd be surprised that in that, that part of their brain, they remember I used to type, so just right. using the typewriter, turning the typewriter, and it, it all of a sudden their parent who wasn't engaged is now a little bit engaged. So I encourage you to look, if you're going to look around, check to make sure that there's some programming in place. It, one of the, the great advents that's come along in the last several years, uh, and I'm going to butcher the pronunciation of this, but it, it's called, I believe, uh, snozzlin therapy or snozzlin therapy. Uh, Jane, do you know what I'm talking about? The rooms no, with the light. I've never heard of that. Essentially, yeah. it's what it's geared towards is is uh, later stage Alzheimer's patients, and these are rooms that are set up with uh, colorful lights, music, mm-hmm. uh, usually some kind of uh, transcendental music, um, maybe a, a bubble machine, and then all sorts of things to touch and hold and feel. And it's all I, about stimulating the, the senses, all, all five of them. There'll be you know perfumes coming out of the rooms and whatnot. And, and for the late-stage Alzheimer's patients, uh, they love – the ones I've, I've seen have just loved being in this environment. And – it started to become more and more popular uh, at different senior centers and also uh, memory care units and, and yep. different residences. Uh, and, and that's just another type of program. Uh, as I said, I believe it's pronounced Sneslin, S-N-O-E-Z-E-L-E-N, uh, another type of program that might be very beneficial to your senior. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's 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 a sensory room or a, a sensory yeah. and tactile. But, you know, the other thing is what people don't realize, and, and, you know, one of the things you find with Alzheimer's residents is they're pacers, right? They pace a lot yes. and they walk a lot. So it's, you know, in terms of eating, sometimes they lose weight, which then results in other issues because they can't sit still and eat because a lot of times they're pacing. So a good suggestion is finger foods are really good so mm-hmm. chicken mcnuggets or you know where they or a uh you know a popsicle anything that they can walk and eat at the same time is one thing the other thing that people need to understand too is depth per- perception is off so a simple thing like this if you have a white tablecloth with a white plate and white mashed potatoes that alzheimer's resident who's progressing can't see that Yep. So you've got to make sure that you put contrasting colors so they could see that. I mean, little things like that can make life a lot easier if someone's caretaking for someone at home. Wow, there's so many, so many different things to think about, and I, I, I can my part of my background educationally was cognitive psychology, so this is very interesting to me. I'm going to ask you both a little bit about um, choosing a facility. We have about 10 minutes left. I want to get out another message about this uh, upcoming CBA event, but I'm curious to hear from you both about spotting issues with finding the right facility, whether if it's a facility there is a residential or it's a stay-at-home and you have uh, caregivers and companion services. So how do you choose a facility? And secondly, how do we look for and avoid abuse? But first, I want to uh, remind everyone that, again, our friend Sarah Manning uh, is participating in a Chicago Bar Association continuing legal education program. And again, it is it's CBA College of Trial Advocacy and DUI training. The state automatically suspends driver's licenses in certain DUI cases. For example, if a petitioner refused to take a breathalyzer examination or the results were in excess of the appropriate legal limits, the state suspends a driver's 
driver's license for six months here in Illinois. Persons charged with DUIs may beat DUI charges, but still may lose their license because they're not entitled to public representation by a public defender um, because it's a civil matter with uh, with some of these suspension issues. So getting the right information is so important, and if you are as someone who knows an attorney or has uh, friends, really this is good information for anyone to find out about. You can find more information about this event with a link that we posted uh, earlier this week on Tuesday when Sarah was our guest and talked about um, roadside safety checks and uh, things for the holiday season. So you can always find more information with the link that is located on our Facebook page for Money Talk Radio. Simply search for Money Talk Radio in the search bar on Facebook. Now back to our program. Um, I'd like to ask both our, our guests, Jane and Chris, to talk a little bit about selecting the right facility and how to look for and guard against abuses. And I'll suggest that um, it's easy to be scared by things that we see on Dateline, for example, but um, I think that if you are, are wise and, and keep uh, your nose to the grindstone, you can find good care providers. So, Jane, if you'd like to go first. Um, yeah, a couple of things. I think the first thing, um, suggestion one, is don't get caught up by the look of the community. I think sometimes, you know, the adult child, you know, builders are smart. They're going to build it to, to attract the adult child. And you get caught up and you go, look how beautiful this is, and there's this grand piano and beautiful chandeliers. Go beyond that. I think the best thing you can do is watch and look. Are the residents... Um, engaged? Do you see them active within the community? Um, how do they look? Um, you know, are they, are, do, do people look clean or do, do they have a ruffled shirt with stains going down the front? Because it's our job to make sure that if we're assisting someone that they look good. Um, do, are the employees engaged with the residents? Do you see them talking to the residents? Do they know their names? Um, the person showing you the, the, the community who's touring you, are they? do they know the, the residents' names? I think sometimes you get caught up so in the, in the first impression, which is important, but sometimes the best communities are the older communities, the ones that don't look, you know, were built in the 80s, and they might not have every bell and whistle, but, boy, they provide the best care in the world. I would ask about tenure. Um, how long has the director of the building been there? How long has the, dir the, the director of, of nurses or the, the head clinical person in, in, the, in the community, how long have they been there? Um, talk to other residents, you know, how are you liking it here? Um, so uh, I encourage you to really take the time to ask specific questions, how it relates to the care of my mom and dad, not just you got a great dining room and you're going to get three meals a day. I mean, I think that's important, but, you know, one thing that we teach our people as as, as uh People are coming into our communities. It's about care, and it's and we have a concept called core care over real estate. It's really about the care we provide because you know what the bottom line is: these people have a place to live, but they're looking because they need something. So make sure you take the time to ask good questions. Um, you get to find out a lot. Uh, about uh, uh, by asking good questions to the director of nursing. Tell me how you're going to manage my mom's medications. How does that process work? How do you evaluate my mom for what she needs? Um, so I think that's really important. Um, I think the other thing is a lot of times, like you said at the beginning, Dateline, you know, people are going to sensationalize the worst scenario. You know, a lot of times they'll say, well, go look at the state surveys. Well, you know what? Bottom line is you could probably pull up nine out of ten communities or assisted livings or um, memory care communities, and you're gonna, you can go online and pull up state surveys, and you're going to find some type of, you know, um, in, uh, some type of issue that they found. And I will tell you, I mean, no, no assisted living is perfect. Um, when we have a deficiency-free survey, we think it's the best. That's a great thing. But I think you got to look deeper. One of the ways, and, and we see it more now than we did in the past, one of the ways states make money is by 
going into nursing homes, assisted livings, and saying, oh, we found this, what's wrong, we're going to find you. So you'd be surprised how much that is happening more and more. So look behind if there is a state survey that you look at. I would ask them, question it, when was it? Did you fix it? it, it you know, Sometimes it's you, you, deficiencies that were related to administrative things like the employee files weren't up to date. So look Thoroughly, make sure you you're educated enough to know what you're looking for, than just you know, um, hey, they had a bad survey. The third thing is ask people. Our biggest referral source are family and friends. People know. Ask other people. Do you know any of the place? Have you been to that place? You'd be surprised how someone knows something about another community. So those are kind of my three suggestions. Thank you, Jane and Chris. Yeah, well, I, I think those are all wonderful suggestions. And, and the first one uh, that, that Jane described, we, we call it the smile factor. And it is a thoroughly unscientific measurement, but it is basically when you go into one of these communities, are the residents smiling? Are they saying hello? Do they seem happy and engaged and upbeat? That, to me, is by far the the best leading indicator of the quality of a community. Uh, Jane brought up the, the inspectors and whatnot, and she mentioned a deficiency-free report. Uh, I would suggest that a deficiency-free report means that some state inspector probably isn't going to get his bonus that year. Uh, as she said, there, there really is uh, sort of an inst a bureaucratic imperative to find things that are wrong. What I would suggest instead of looking at these surveys each, each county or each region of counties is going to have something called an Area Agency on Aging. Mm -hmm. And under the, the AAA, there'll be what's called an Ombudsman. And I used to serve on the Adult Home Advisory Commission here in Forsyth County in Winston-Salem working with the Ombudsman. If you call these folks up, they can't get into the specifics of cases with you, but they know which facilities are the good ones, they know which ones are the bad ones. So if you were to say, hey, we're thinking about moving mom into to XYZ, and you hear them do a sudden sharp intake of breath and say, well, I don't know about that, you might want to think twice. Uh, on the other hand, they might say, that's a great one. Uh, we really think highly of those people. And so that way you're able to get uh, a, a bit of the official uh, line on how these different places are, but without the, what I, I think, frankly, is the charged environment of these inspections and, and surveys and whatnot. Uh, so in between the smile factor and the area agency on aging, you can do real well. Uh, and a last resource I would suggest is get in touch with what's called a geriatric care manager. And these are folks who specialize in all aspects of senior care. And, again, these folks are going to know good places and, and not so good places. Okay. Great answers from you both. Um, we have about two minutes left. Uh, if you could both, again, tell us a little bit about the organizations you represent and some contact information and websites. Jane, if you want to go first. Uh, again, it's Emeritus Senior Living, E-M-E-R-I-T-U-S. Um, you can go to www.emeritus.com. And we also have a toll-free number. If anyone has any questions, um, it's 1-800-501-4814. And we're also on Facebook. So you can know, search for Emeritus on Facebook. You can kind of see a whole life of uh, Emeritans uh, on Facebook. Excellent. Chris? <laughs> sure. Uh, again, my company's name is Help Unlimited. Uh, my wife, and Amanda, and I own it. We've been in business since 1985. And we're very proud to be a family company. You can visit, visit us on the web at yourfinancialpaperwork.com. And uh, always happy to chat with you and, and answer any questions you might have about daily money management services. Excellent. I want to thank you both for your valuable time and appearing and offering such great content today. Well, thank, thank you, you so much. It's a pleasure to be here.
All right, great. I also want to thank all of our uh, listeners out there and also want to remind you about the uh, CBA event on December 12th from 3 to 8 p.m. at the Chicago Bar Association. Again, four and a half MCLE credits on uh, DUI law. Great program there. Sarah Manning has more information. You can find Sarah through uh, www.duichicago.com is the Charles Beach uh, website. Charles is her boss. Uh, great, great people, and uh, she had a great show earlier this week. So, again, I want to thank our guests today, Jane Salerson and Christopher DeBar, and all the information that they shared with us. Uh, again, this is Nick Augustine for Money Talk Radio, and I want to uh, remind our listeners that we are very interested in your feedback. We can always uh, take your suggestions and advice either through the contact page at ProServePR.com, which is, again, P-R-O-S-E-R-V-E-P-R.com, or also through our Facebook pages for Money Talk Radio and for our Tuesday Law Talk Radio program. Again, with our listeners located from coast to coast as well as our guests, we appreciate the opportunity to use this socially networked radio program to bring people together and share collective intelligence. Again, this is Nick Augustine for Money Talk Radio, and as always, I thank you all for your time.